Sword. I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're discussing Persepolis Rising by uh, James S.A. Corey. This is book five? Oh, right? no, I think book seven. Book seven? Yeah. Number we're seven. In? Oh, yep. my God. It is book seven. Book seven in the Expanse series, which means we have two more? One more. Uh, two more. Two more. Well, this ninth one's not out yet. Ooh. But, you know, the eighth one. It's coming. coming. It's coming up. Okay. So we got one more. This uh, this story takes place 30 years since the last one. Talk about a time jump. Yeah. and uh, In fact, that was the comment I got from Jim. You know, he says, just to clarify, this is taking place like 30 years. Oh, that was me. The, that was you. <laughs> yeah, uh, was I, yeah. I, was I was like, like <laughs> did I miss something? Did I pick up the wrong book? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, basically, we follow the Rosinante crew who's been going strong for over 30 years together. Um and uh, some of the crew members are ready for retirement. Uh, some of the crew members are ready for more uh, adventures. Some are close to death. Um, the galaxy is kind of normalized since the proto-molecule and the gates have opened. Uh, but a new section of humanity who has been closed off is about to make a return uh, and uh, a run for control of the worlds. We say new, but we've encountered this little rascal before. Right. Uh, two books ago, I think. Last book he was. Oh, well, I mentioned in the last book, but certainly two books ago. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that's uh, that's pretty much it. That's yeah. Pretty much it. That's, that's, that's about good. We're done. So yeah. goodbye. Yeah. Right. That, uh, this follow has us been, on uh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're now seven books in. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with overall impressions, thoughts about you know we're so familiar with this by now or maybe with the people it's like coming back to a book like this it's, it's kind of like visiting old friends uh and what they go through is what makes it compel what compelling or maybe not so compelling for us so let's start with you david what did you think of persephalus rising um i really enjoyed this book a lot i mean i've enjoyed them all so far but um i wouldn't say it's one of my favorite ones i would say it's it's a very solid i i, I found the beginning third to be incredibly jarring solely because of that jump didn't feel natural and felt really forced. And, um, some of the dynamics, while they feel like they've progressed naturally and, and correctly, uh, it just felt weird to, to be in these situations with these characters. Now, no longer the, you know, Schwarzeneggers and, <laughs> and everything of, of, of humanity there, they're kind of older, broken down, not up at their not at their peak anymore. Um, it, it was just it, I don't know if maybe it's because we're reading these so close together. I don't know if there was a long time between between books or, or not that would have also like lended itself to that time jump for fandom. Um, but uh, certainly it was it, it it really put me off 
because um, I couldn't stop thinking about it and and like having to adjust thought patterns about it. I think thirty was a was more than I was ready for. Ten, fifteen, I probably could have handled uh, with more ease. But thirty years is a long time. I mean, enough that the people that they're interacting with are completely not just like the children of the people they were working with, but like some of the, like they could have grandkids old, right. like coming into right. adult adulthood of some of the people. They had certainly it before. changes the landscape of the people. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of new players on the board because of that. It was almost, and maybe, and maybe that was part of uh, James S.A. Corey's, uh, you know, it was part of their uh, plan. Like let's clear the playing field with a lot of the other players we've been playing with. Let's take it 30. Let's look at what this looks like 30 years in the future. Uh, there's still some of the old players around, but a lot of new people on, and let's uh, let's explore. It, it was, yeah, it was almost as if they wanted to. They had ideas for their world, and they were like, "Well, what if down the road this thing happens?" But couldn't figure out a way to to bring it together without their established characters. So they it, almost like they had to come up with a way to fit the Rosinante team into this story instead of creating. I, almost like they, they were afraid of creating new, a new team of people to solve a problem and just be like, this is a continuation of that world. Like you had to have Holden. You had to have a Bobby and everyone in this. And by the end of the book, all that pays off well and fits perfectly fine and, and is, is amazing. But at the beginning of the book, it's just very off for me. So I liked it, but I had some. Well, Jim, how about you? Uh, what are you thinking? What was your first, uh, what was your impression and initial thoughts of this book? Well, I didn't find um, the 30-year gap as off-putting as David did. Um, I just kind of accepted it and went with it. Uh, I I really thought that it kind of set the story up a little bit because here we've got 30 years where, you know, there, there are no factions really uh, in the solar system that are any longer dominant. I mean, Earth and Mars and the Belters have found a way to coexist more or less peacefully, um, and that has gone on for a long time since they got a, got rid of Marco, and it's kind of nice, and maybe it's a little too nice because something bad has to happen, right? <laughs> so in walks Duarte, and just decides, well, I'm going to take over, whether you like it or not. And he per- comes pretty darn close to it. You know, we've got, we've got in this gate, we've got 1,300 worlds. And you would think that, okay, we could finally get along. And, you know, Holden wants to retire and him and Naomi go live on the moon and just live out the rest of their lives resting and nope, that's not going to happen because the first thing that happens is this transport union president comes in and says, you go tell them we're going to starve them out. And it's like, okay, here we go. (laughs) So, you know, instead of Holden going off, he comes back. And what really, what really tears me up in here is Holden has turned the ship over to Bobby, and then he comes back. And oh, yeah. that was not that was not cool. 
Well, they kind of acknowledge that. Yeah. And we'll get to the yeah. yeah. characters. Yeah. So, you know, but I, go ahead. Overall, I overall I thoroughly enjoyed the book and um uh am ready to go on to the next one. Yeah. You know, this book um this book really does set up the next trilogy. The, it sets up the next trilogy, really. Um We'll see when we get to book eight that this is a setup, and we can kind of see the setup in book eight. Uh, and and it's kind of setting up book nine, the little that we know of book nine. It's interesting because initially when we started the journey, it was all about the proto-molecule, right? It's, and it still kind of is, like in a roundabout way, the proto-molecule. And so you had the first three books with them, um, you know, firstly, encounter, first encountering the proto-molecule, um, them dealing with Ganymede, and then they uh, then dealing with Medina Station. Uh, those are the first three books. And then you have the fourth book, which is kind of like, let's go actually explore one of these worlds that was opened up. And it seems almost one-off, because it's not anything else that they've done. Uh, and then we get to the two-part story arc of Marcos, right, and them bombing Earth and time to take out the Free Navy. And and then finally here we are in the in the beginning of this next trilogy. So it's interesting to see the way the books have been paired story wise. But I like this book. There was this book was dense. There was a lot that happened. Oh yeah. Um, in in a fairly short amount of time, both in our characters and what happens to them. And and who they are and what they do and where they go, all, all that stuff. There's a lot. Like I was reading back through a summary of it, and I was like, "Holy Hannah!" There's a lot that happens in this book, and and in some ways, it's very dense because there's so many different things that you have to keep track of that are happening on the Medina Station, and then you know on Freehold, and then uh, you know on the Rosinante, and with this crew, and you're trying to keep track of that all, and with Duarte, and so on. But it was a very good book. I enjoyed it, and um, and I'm looking forward to see you know how you guys feel about the next book. So now there's only supposed to be nine. Yeah, my understanding is that we get to book nine. Uh, that wraps up the series. So okay, so we'll yep, see. If we my get to book nine. We get to book nine. Spoiler alert: We get to book nine. The Rasenante blows up uh, next to the uh, gate the center of the gate and takes the gates down and the universe comes to an end. Mm. Forever. Right, so you, you heard it here. This is the prediction of Jack. <laughs> and uh, Ava Sorrell is the only thing left because she's one tough old bird. <laughs> no, I say they, they Rosinante becomes the, the asteroid that has the proto molecule on it and gets sent back in time. Oh, we're going to bring in time travel yeah. now. Yeah, so that they were the engineers of their own demise. Oh, there you and go. that the ancient culture was then, <laughs> and history repeats itself over and over and over again. Idea. Uh, interesting idea. Interesting idea. I do have a quote that might support that. We'll, oh, have, to, we'll have to look at that. Uh-oh. But when we get to it. All right, Jim, yeah. why don't you take us into characters and uh, places? Yeah, Holden and Naomi. Now they were a nice decided, old married couple. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've decided they want to step back. You know, I imagine what, they'd be probably about close to 60 years old. Yeah, if mm-hmm. not, maybe a little bit older. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. And they want to just step back and retire. I get that. all about, all about turning the ship over to Bobby and, and Alex, Amos and Clarissa and just, just take it easy. Right. And what happens here comes, um, Carmina drummer. Oh, that happens and before. Tells, Cause they decide yeah. to retire after the, Right, because well, of how bad that mission kind of, goes. It was kind of at the same time that this happened. Anyway, she sends she sends uh, Holden um, out to Freehold to tell them that they're going to be cut off because of their behavior, and Holden decides to change the message. Oh yes, he does. Mm. That's typical Holden. And, yeah. Typical Holden, and. Yep, was stirring the pot right from the beginning. That's right. Right. Well, I mean, she it's almost like she didn't realize didn't take into account how many people she was killing, I guess. Right. You know. Because they they instantly see if they cut them off, these people will start dying because they won't have anything. So he comes up with a what he sees as a compromise, but because it because of it, it, it compromises the strength of the Trading, trading union or whatever they're called. So, but in the end, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Well, you know, so you know, I hear that, and but this is Holden. Holden has always been about the people, right? And he's always been about, like, even in the last book, he's trying to give a face so that it's easy to say, "Well, let's just kill Freehold." There's uh, freeloaders over there that aren't honoring our trade agreements. But when you get down to the people, it changes things. They aren't just people of freehold they're the individuals of freehold and that changes you know how especially holden how holden certainly treat well as far as drummer is concerned the laws are black and white and you follow the law and everything's fine and if you don't you're going to get cut off and it doesn't matter what situation you're in and she does not see them as people she sees them as worlds yes Yeah. And Holden takes exception to this as he always has. Yeah. So in, in, in a lot of ways, Holden is acting within his character. I mean, this is what he's right. done. Um, the idea of seeing people as individuals and not products of the whole. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, since we're talking about characters here, but of the two of them, I really enjoyed seeing their comfortableness together and how that's really cemented and not only that their interdependency uh on each other and how in the past they would run off both of them have run off and done things on their own and the other has been obviously concerned but like still strong on their own but in this in this story specifically when they are separated both of them crumble a little bit like they become less of themselves without the other person uh, to back them up. I was going to say at the end, we still hold him running off and doing his own. Right. But, <laughs> but that, and that's where you see Naomi crumbling. Uh, uh, like once, uh, once they're fully, fully separated, uh, like she is still herself, but she's obviously less of herself. She's not functioning at full capacity. Um, well, and as you would expect someone who loses a husband or a wife, you know, it, it, part of them, They've been together so long that 
part of them is going to be damaged by what has happened. Right, right. But it's just now it's, that, it's shown really well in the book. It, it, oh, it's, yes. It's played across very naturally and realistically and not over the top or over dramatized. Like it's, it's, it's very, um, very well done. Oh yeah. It's palpable. You feel bad for Naomi, you know, because she has been through a lot of garbage in her life and, uh, she doesn't need any more, but she's going to get it anyway. So anyway, (laughs) how about, how about Bobby as captain of the Rasenate? Totally makes sense Alex, to me. Yeah. Alex, Amos, and Clarissa, who his who is having some major medical problems. Yep. I think that this the crews here their their relationships together almost felt a little stagnated. Um, like I, I feel like in thirty years you might have seen a little bit more development with Clarissa and Amos, because uh, there's something going on there. I mean, I like the mystery. But this is, again, the 30-year thing and just imagining that more things take place in 30 years. And I guess in tight quarters where you just kind of repeat the same things over and over again, like journey-wise or whatever, maybe things don't have to move on. They can stay status quo for quite some time. And then you have, um, is it Alex? Yeah, name? Alex. Alex. He got married and had a kid or whatever, but then you, I, I really like the the aspect now that he's separated and... Uh, he still has this incredibly close relationship with Bobby and she, and she internalizes internalizes the feeling that, um, you know, she intends to die with him. Like he's, he's her life partner, even though, um, she hadn't, she hasn't like accepted him as a, a romantic lead. He is her romantic, uh, place like rock, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that aspect, but I felt like the Amos, Maybe I mean it was purposely left this way, but the Amos and um, Clarissa stuff was was kind of much more ambiguous, and, and and even the other characters don't understand their their own interdependent relationship. So yeah, well, their relationship has always been a bit wonky, even from the get go. Right. And so in, on one hand, it seems like Amos really views her as he is her protector in some ways. Um, perhaps in some ways a daughter, but there's never been much of a, certainly hasn't seemed to be any romantic tension between her. I felt it. Yeah. So, but not, it, not in a major way. And you certainly don't. They never acted on it or no, anything like that, no. but it was like the flirting and the. Right. Cause they're not that far apart in age. I don't yeah. No. So it's, I mean, it's, it's good, but I, you know, I hear what you're saying, David, and I have to imagine being on a ship. So finally, after all they've been through for 30 years, stuff has been pretty even keeled, right? Yeah. Not a lot has happened that has drawn in James Holden. James Holden in some ways has fallen out of the limelight. And what put James Holden, you know, he was in the forefront of everyone's mind because he was always in the center of the action. Now for 30 years, that's kind of set back. And they're, they've been allowed to do business as usual. And perhaps that does get mundane like many of our jobs to some degree become mundane and the relationships become somewhat routine. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like they have a lot of conflict in these 30 years that's forcing them to draw co- closer. They, they're doing business. They have their roles and they're kind of functioning. So maybe that's, 
May, maybe, I mean, the thing that really makes us grow as individuals is our ability to handle crises mm-hmm. um, and to, to work through issues and problems. And there, there, there probably was some interpersonal stuff, but certainly nothing in the magnitude that we've seen in the first five books, sex books. Right. No, I, I don't think, oh, well, you know, 30 years, you know, they're going to take vacations. They're going to they're gonna do whatever they're doing, running back and forth between planets and stations and in and out of the, the gate and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I can see them pulling over and going their separate ways um, from time to time, which, of course, that would be illustrated by Alex having a second marriage and another child. Right. You know, so... I, they're not, I don't think they fall into myself. I don't think they fall into a a mundane routine. I think they, you know, they know when it's time to take a break. They, I'm sure they get on each other's nerves. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've seen that happen before. I guess I just meant interpersonal mundane routine, not necessarily other work. I mean, it's just like their relationships kind of, uh, not paused, not even paused. I, I'm I'm simplifying it too much. It's just the growth seemed uh, infinitesimal compared to what you would expect over 30 years. But again, when you get in a rut, like well, and if it works, I guess it doesn't need to change. Yeah. Well, you got you got a lot of people in a small space, and you know, I could I can understand it. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, now now we got. Carmina Drummer, president of the Transport Union, who is being kind of advised by Christian Avasarala. Avasarala. Yep. And she's still around, you know. She she is. That's pretty darn good. Apparently, she's had a lot of help with that. Right. I I imagine her kind of like Christopher Pike. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she's in what a wheelchair at this point. Yeah. Well, she's in and out of a wheelchair, you know. She she probably needs it a lot of the time, but not all the time. But Drummer is just not listening. Her her character seemed a little inexperienced for the position she held. But I read that not as a bad thing as much as just evidence of how complacent humanity has become in its current standings. How there hasn't been a threat in so long. There hasn't been a war. There hasn't been any kind of challenge to the to it. Like they've just they found the system that works and it works well, and and that's just the way it, it's it's going. There's no you don't need to have like a super you know twenty five year veteran of the position in in leadership. It can be someone younger. So yeah, I I kind of I. I I, I don't want to say I didn't like her, but uh, she 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 wasn't bad at her job. But I think maybe she she because as a reader we were privy to more information. But it felt like she uh, maybe was a little bit more stubborn than she needed to be. Well, you know, and and that's that's weird because she she seemed to be a lot more flexible in the past. And yeah. now she is. She's not willing to to move one way or the other. Uh, you know, she's going to enforce the rules because they are the rules, 
and we've seen we've seen this throughout throughout the books with her that she is she is a good leader and a good commander but right now she's not considering what's in front of her and who's going to be hurt by what she decides to do right and Christianava Solara is trying to get her to look at another side of this, and Carmina's not having any part of it, probably for two reasons. Number one, she's got a world that she has to uh, sanction. And number two, uh, she has to deal with uh, Duarte, who is coming in to take everything over. Oh, yeah. And there's a bit of her wanting to blaze her own path, I think, with, with mm-hmm. Av- Avasarla coming in and being like, no, you know, patterns, and this is this will cause this, and this will cause that. And like, and she's just kind of like, well, I'm going to do it my way because it's my way. Of so she kind of shuts down her advice or doesn't take it purely on that kind of aspect. Yeah. What about Santiago Singh, the Medina Station governor appointed by Duarte? Um, so I liked him. He gets a bit, uh, you know, he starts out kind of naive. And then when those people get shot in front of him, that really begins to rattle him. He becomes uh, much more paranoid as a character and begins to make some bad decisions. Um, and that really kind of, uh, for me, ca- captures this guy. But Yeah. I think, well, you know. Go ahead. Sorry, Jim. Well, he, he's, uh, now, do I do we call this the Laconian Empire? I don't know. if it, That word seemed to come up a couple of times that Winston Duarte is running. But he seemed to pick an awful young, inexperienced officer to go in as governor. Didn't they kind of explain that at one point? Like the reasons that they did that? I, I forget what it was that he was chosen specifically for this because he wasn't so hard. He wouldn't come across as hard, but then they they placed like uh, that lady there with him to make sure that he didn't, he wasn't too soft or something. Or he wasn't too, he didn't make the wrong decisions to kind of like help check and balance him. Yeah. And then he fires her and regrets it. Right, because he feels challenged. I mean, she's supposed to challenge him, but he doesn't know. Like, I feel like that they they should have told him, maybe, I don't know, been a, yeah. communicated that to him so that he would have uh, taken her word a little bit more higher and, and seen it for what it was. But yeah, I feel but like then, then again, then again, his second second in command becomes Major Overstreet, who also lets him know what's going on and eventually has realizes that Singh needs to be put down. Right. I thought this was an incredibly well-written villain. I, 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 I liked this villain for so much because he's not a bad guy. Like the, the book starts off and I was expecting a redemption arc, um, you know, like a Farscapian type of, uh, turn for the character to the good side uh, to join the Rosinante crew or, or, or something. Because um, he's got this family, and, and yeah, he was raised in this 
like pretty much completely raised in in this uh, Laconian environment. Uh, I don't know if brainwashing is the right indoctrinated into into their society and and thinks that they, their way is the right way. Uh, and then he's come and like now faced with these other cultures for the first time and and this environment of like uh, insurgency and and all that kind of stuff. And but at the end, like he just wants like a nice environment for his wife and daughter to come join him and. And a stable place to kind of to rule the station with. Um, so he's not like purely evil or or bad or or like he from in his point of view, like he feels like he's helping these people in the beginning. Now as time progresses, his uh, uh, lack of knowledge, uh, militaristic knowledge or, or governing knowledge, definitely does him in in the end. Um, and 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 eventually completely does him in when he he starts to look in the very totalitarian point of view of just like well if you don't if you can't obey our thing then we'll just kill them all and start clean like just replace the whole station like that that's the way to go like everyone will just fall in line if there's right, no one there right. but not realizing oh, that if you did that they'd be martyrs and and you you said villain and I didn't see him as much as a villain. Except, well, not a villain, but a, a a tragic character. Yeah, you know, because when he was introduced at the beginning of the book, I I thought this guy, this is going to be a fun fun guy to read about. Right. Um, you know, he's got a family. He's just a regular guy. He puts on his uniform and picks the dust off, and he wants to be absolutely perfect. And here comes his kid. <laughs> splat you know that kind of thing and it's like wow this is going to be fun and then he just went on a spiral down 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 and he made up his mind that he was going to assert himself his authority rather than look at the situation and adapt to what was going on on Medina Station right Right. I, if anything, it really helps, like, you understand his motives more than and understand how he could come to these conclusions. Um, well, you said naive. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was definitely that. Yeah. He wasn't trained for the position they put him in. Certainly. And there's, a, and what may be trained, but not uh, experienced. I don't, you know, the books are different okay. than real than work. Cause, cause he, there are times he referenced like, Oh, well we learned about how to handle insurgents in the, in training, but then like put into practice, he clearly didn't know how to handle insurgents, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, like he was basically creating them for himself. Like he could have not had that been a problem. And then that guy came by and he could have like bribed him and gotten himself in with like the underworld or whatever. But instead he created a, uh, of, uh, an enemy immediately right off the bat with a guy who tried to, to give him info and stuff. So, yeah. And then later on, of course, through a lot of the book, we have the former belters who still consider themselves belters who say, you know, no, this is not going to happen. We are not going to let this go on. And boy, does that open a can of worms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, some of the fights that went 
on between individuals were absolutely epic. You know, Bobby and and Katria. Oh, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Bobby didn't care. You know, hey, I'll kick your butt again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, but you know, and then. Uh, yeah, some of the interpersonal things Amos got into a got into it with somebody too, didn't he? Amos is always getting into it with someone. So. Yeah. Well, he, he started. The he's fight. some fifty. He's some fifty years old, right? And he can still do it. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. I really like the fight between him and Bobby, and I guess this is kind of bleeds into my favorite quote. It's just him. And Bobby fighting, and she beats him bad and kind of really puts him in his place. And at the end, she's like, you know, next time you want to start a fight, like, don't, don't do something that uh, will cause the problems like it did with um, that lady you just mentioned. I'm sorry. Uh, Katria. Katria. Like, don't do, don't do that. Like, come to me, and we'll, we'll just spar. And he's like, well, I can pick a fight with anyone and win, but if I want to lose a fight, which is what he wanted, I'll come to you. And and that was like a big thing of him admitting that she's. It wasn't that he was challenging her for her position. It's like he wanted her to put him in his place. Like that's what he wanted. He didn't want to rule there to be in charge, and he wanted her to to dominate. Uh, he could have done that a whole lot less painfully, though. <laughs> yep, but I guess this kind of fit his psychology. I, oh, yeah. I hated to see I hated to see that fight, even though it was written well and it was epic and and the outcome was cool and everything. But I hated to see crew of the Rossi have to go after each other like that. Right. Because, but I guess that I imagine that would happen because you know the crew of that ship over thirty years has become family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. But, you know, some families verbally fight. I guess this family physically fights. That's right. <laughs> or at least after yeah. 30 years they do. So, so we, 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 kind of, uh, we kind of end up with an epic battle that uh, Duarte, he kind of takes it to him, but uh, drummer, and it doesn't surprise me at all, gives him a really good fight before she finally runs out of ammunition and has to give up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, throughout, throughout this, the thing that I love about this is Duarte seems absolutely unstoppable. Like there's, when he comes into Medina Station, and they take over. Yes, there's resistance, but he moves into the soul system with a solitary ship and makes soul system bow to him. And you, and he looks like an enemy that cannot, cannot in any way be stopped. And we're kind of left there because not only has he done that, but at the very end, he captures our hero. He captures the hero of the galaxy, which is James Holden. And that's it. That's where we're left. And you're kind of 
reeling from this because this is not what you expect. You expect Holden to come out and top, right? Somehow Holden's going to save the day. And in this book, he doesn't. No, he does not. <laughs> and, um, and the Rosinanti doesn't. And the crew is fractured. Maybe in some ways, some of the same ways we saw in book five, where the crew, one went to Earth, one went to Mars, and the fracture. But this is perhaps is more of a forced fracture. And uh, that perhaps makes it more difficult to stomach because we don't know what's going to happen. Well, Mr. Readahead does. But, <laughs> um, but, 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 but at the end of this book, when we get to the end, we're like, this can't be happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And who's going to stop Duarte? Duarte is like the all and powerful Oz, right? Working the levers behind everything and making it all happen. Mm-hmm. But I agree. It, it is a heck of a cliffhanger, and you don't you don't really get any hints as to what direction it's going to go. No, no. You know, the one thing, though, to be said about Duarte is we do get answers to some of the hints we were given in the other books. So why was the safe stolen out of, you know, Fred Johnson's office? Well, now we know. Uh, why, why did Duarte take all these ships through the gate secretly? Well, now we know because he was building up the Laconian Empire, right? And we still don't know a ton about that. We just know that it exists. And um, that is kind of the central part of the next book. And it's heavily mm. based upon protomolecule experiment. It is absolutely, yep. And you see that, both in the, in the ship design. Um, Arms. Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty, in, pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting how the, the center of the solar system has shifted from the inner planets and the belt and has moved out to Medina Station. Right. right, right. I mean, the center of everything, where you get a combination of three different cultures, uh, you know, the Earth, the Earth culture, Mars culture, and the Belt culture come together and create a fourth culture, which I think comes forth uh, because of Payne Houston, uh, Sing, Duarte, those crew. Yeah. It's it's um, it's really changed the the face of the way things are. Yeah. Well, in a lot of and ways. I had, go ahead. I was very comfortable with three factions, and you know, two of them would get along for a while, and then two of the others ones would get along for a while, and then all three of them would figure out, oh, we all have the same goals except we want to be more equal than these guys. And I was kind of comfortable with that little back and forth thing. And now it's all just, that's all changed and it has shifted to one person. Yeah. That doesn't matter anymore. Those three factions. It's interesting because soul has been like the soul system has been like the center. I mean, this is humanity's birth. And what you see happening with Laconia is a shift away from soul or trying yeah. to shift that away from soul. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, are there other places or people that we want to talk about or we want to go into some favorite points of the plot? I'm okay with moving oh, forward. Why don't we, yeah, well, let's move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so 
Uh, favorite points of the plot. Uh, do you care if I start? No, go ahead. Come on, Carissa Mile. When she activates her implants one last time sacrificially, knowing it's going to kill her. Yeah. And she takes out those five people. I've always loved to see Carissa Mile in action when her implants are in. And this is, here she goes, ape crap, you know, just all over the place. And it's just great. Yeah. One of my favorite moments. <laughs> Jim? Oh, wow. Well, again, the, the shifting... The shifting of culture is is really great, but you know something? I guess I have to say about my favorite point of the entire plot is things never change. Even with 30 years of relative peace, we still have people who are ambitious and want, want all the marbles in their bag. So nothing's changed. Everybody wants their, their piece of the pie. And so we've started a whole new round of conflicts here. You know, that that's going to force the the remnants of Earth, Mars, and the belt to come together to maintain independence. Right. 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 And I don't see how Duarte's gonna win. I, I don't see him being able to win. I yeah. For me, favorite plot points would be uh, the battle between Amos and and Bobby, just like how that kind of led up to it. And then um, I really like the was it called the Dauntless? Is that the ship that's is that the ship that was coming or the ship that had gone through the soul? Whatever the ship that had gone through the soul and the big battle where it just fires and just completely just dismantles a whole giant what they call this uh city station basically like instantly and that whole effect of are you talking about the tempest the tempest yeah was, is that right yeah the, the, the dauntless is coming though right yes yeah so the tempest is the one that was through so when the tempest it fires and it destroys that city station and uh everyone loses what like a couple minutes of time. Right. And it's kind of like this. I was big, just going to mention, it's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Because there's this mysterious force still out there, right? I, I had to listen to that. I Because I usually listen at work. I listened to that chapter chapter two or three times because I kept thinking, did I miss something before it finally set in? No, the characters like missed, like that That actually happened. Like I didn't myself miss a, a sentence of what happened. Right. Nobody knows what happened. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was a really cool. I'm I'm most excited to find out more about that and how it leads into the whatever it was that destroyed the people who created the proto molecule. This is interesting because one of the plot points that we've got, you know, it's been hinted out. Ships have been disappearing. Yeah, and people. This is not the first time people have lost time like this. This idea of this happening. Who is this? Remains mysterious. And, and uh, hopefully by book nine, we'll get some answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I agree. That's, that was a, that was, I'm glad you mentioned it. It's one of my fascinating points of it. Um, I think one of my other, one of my other favorite points is when Holden's captured because it's so unexpected. You don't expect Holden to be captured and led away and kept as a guinea pig for, for, um, 
for Duarte. Oh, the, the conversation between him and Duarte was at the really very yeah at the very yeah. end the interview. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, we know he's not going to kill Holden because he he's he's going to be needed to help with the proto molecule destroyers. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anything um, else from you on that one, Jim? On on favorite uh, the proto. Yeah, the proto-molecule has been a thread all the way through this thing, and it is, it's not going to be destroyed. Right. It's, it's just going to stay there, and, you know, it, since the gate has been put up, I would say the proto-molecule has been somewhat dormant. We, we see hints every now and then for, like, uh, New Earth, or Illus, as they right. called it, you know, it it was there, but it got shut down thanks to Miller. Right. But you know, it it's still it's still running around somewhere. As, as a matter of fact, Miller, I remember Miller telling Holden that there was a bit of it in his in the Rossi. Well, yeah, they got, but they got rid of that. Yeah, and that's at the, why at the end well, of book four, which is why we don't see Miller anymore. Right. Maybe they got rid of it. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> All right. Well, hey. We'll yeah, who knows? So it, it it could poke its head up somewhere else in another form and just decide, okay, humans well, are worthless. We're going to kill them all. Yeah. To, I think to, I see a... To be fair, I don't think that... Like, I think they may have gotten rid of it on the Rossi, but that's not saying they've gotten rid of the protomolecule because they obviously haven't. Right. No, it's a it's a big damn galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so, obviously alive and well in Laconia, and we're going to see what the Laconians have been doing with it. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So that brings us to uh, our favorite quotes here. Before we get into closing thoughts, I see Jim's got one. Did you I know? got a couple here. Okay. I don't know how I'm in there, but okay. Cool. Well, Jim, why don't you start us off? All right. Well, I thought this was apt uh, to to what my favorite favorite point of the plot was is how people just stay the same and things are. I'm going to paraphrase though, because uh, this is a family show. <laughs> it's it's not I don't trust. It's that I don't trust blind people are people. Messed up like we all are, it amazes me when we can even make a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I love the last line. Is it? It's a screen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Any other quotes? Uh, I didn't. I didn't pull any others out. So I, here's one I have. Um, it says, "I actually read history. It's like reading prophecy." You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was the one I was referencing, you know, yeah. time traveling back in time. Mm -hmm. um, in his opinion, faith was generally for people who are bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and here's another one. Don't let things sit for too long. It's always tempting to just ignore the things that aren't actually on fire just at the moment. But then you're also committing to spending your time putting out fires. That was interesting. Hmm. Uh, Is all Avasarla quotes? Some of them. Uh, let me see here. 
Well, <laughs> there's one that maybe I should share that one. <laughs> um, so here's it. I'll read this one yet because it ties in with what Jim was saying. Because we're human and humans are mean, independent monkeys that reached their greatness by killing every other species of humanoid that looked at us funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's um, you know, we were talking about how the black and whiteness of the characters of trying to, you know, it's this way or this way. Yeah. And this is one by Kristen Avasarla. Um, it'd be a better world if there's always at least one right answer instead of a bucket of mess. <laughs> to, use, <laughs> to use Jim's paraphrase. If you know Avasarla, <laughs> you know what she actually said. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but. Let's move on now to uh, our closing thoughts and ratings. Um, now, usually I think uh, in the past we've, I've posed the question of, do you recommend this to non-science fiction fans? And I think we're so far into this series now that you need the books before it, and it doesn't really apply. The answer is no. So <laughs> uh, what I want to ask is, what are, your, what are your final thoughts of the book? Uh, anything else you want to say about it? And um, your rating. And then I'd like to know if you've watched the show and should someone finish the books first, do you think, or start the show and is it so good? If you have any. All right. So go ahead. Let's go, Scott. All right. So this is a worthy continuation of pushing the story of our friends on the Rosanante forward. Uh, I like this book a lot. I don't think it was my favorite book. I'm probably going to rate it at a 4.5. I think the others have gotten five. But it wasn't necessarily because the book was bad. But this is a setup book. Uh, and again, probably when we get the trilogy complete, it's going to feel like, well, maybe I should have rated that a five. So I liked it. There are a lot of neat twists that kind of kept me engaged. And um, well worth it. You definitely have to have read the others yeah. to understand. That being said, we do have a 30-year leap. If you did decide, hey, I want to start this book now, I'm not sure. We, aren't, we don't have the inner planets conflict. You're going to be missing the backstory to a lot of characters. Uh, perhaps your connection to the crew is going to be a bit weaker. I think you would understand the story, that there is a, there's a military takeover of a station and a guy that's a maniacal guy that's rising to power, right? Who's a little bit Hitler-esque, right? You, so you have all that. So I think you might understand the story. Um, I would advise, obviously, going back to book one, where it all started and working your way through. Uh, I have watched only the first season of The Expanse, as I've kind of stated before. I think that if you decide to read, if you want to read The Expanse, I would read it first. Then watch so that you don't get so your images of the character, your understanding of the characters are going to be more developed and more fleshed out. That being said, if you aren't planning to read the series, the, the series certainly stands. You don't have to have read the books in order to understand it. So, okay, Jim. All right. Um, I'm going to go with a five out of five. I, I like this book it fit very well in with the series even though it was set years later um 
There were a lot of surprises in here, that things that I didn't expect. It was very entertaining, very engaging, with a whole lot of stuff going on to keep track of. Now, that being said, I, I have watched all of the series, including the uh, fourth season, which was just released recently on Amazon, which, by the way, is a 10-episode arc on uh, Illis. And that part, David, you, as I recall, you didn't really, you weren't as enthusiastic about that as right. as some others were. So it's before? watch, watch it. Yes, okay. watch it because I'll tell you what, it really comes to life when you see it. Huh. So, with that in mind, I enjoyed watching the shows before we started reading the book. Because as I read the book, I can see where, who these characters are. I can hear their voices when they talk. Uh, I really, I really enjoy doing it that that way. Um, I would say you could do either one, but you remember what I said a while back that it was. Uh, the Dune movie that made triggered me to read the book. Huh. So okay. I I think I'm more of a visual person. Uh-huh. So I think I, I would say I would say you could go either way. But one I, I think you get a lot of course you get a lot more detail in the book. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, you you to see these people in action, to actually see it, is is really amazing, and it gives you an appreciation, I think more of an appreciation, for what's in the book. I wonder if perception is a little bit different for Scott and I, because we listen to it, which is a form of, there's a lot of acting there is. involved. There is vocal acting. A vocal acting uh, ah. that really gives the characters... A lot of life, and so when you go to actually watch it, you're you're envisioning it as you've listened to it, and there right. is a certain different dynamic that that brings in just lifting it off the page. Right, right. So I'm I'm curious about that. I I know that it's I had, when we first started, people were like, oh, I think the first two seasons are even still the first book or something like that. Like it it moves rather slow compared to. Um, the way the books move, but I guess it's it's up to season four and book four, I guess. So it must have moved ahead pretty quickly there. Um, I haven't I haven't watched. I want and I'm very tempted to. I might start it before we finish nine, but or before nine comes out. But I probably will wait till start it till after we finished eight, and then see how far away nine is. It's like one of those ambiguously long waits of time for them to write a book, I might just watch it a while. But if it's if it's like within the year, I might just say, "Well, I've waited this long. Might as well just hold out and finish it." I was, I was very similarly. I refused to read any of the Harry Potter books until all the movies were out. I just because those were the characters I had, and I didn't want to add to them and be disappointed that there wasn't something in the movies. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, but I, I've heard, I've only heard good things, and uh, so it really depends on how far away book nine is for, for me to start it. So uh, my rating for this book, I, I I really I really I really liked it. The 
the jarring beginning is the only complaint I really have. And, and for that, I'm going to give it a four out of five instead of, I think most of the books except for the fourth one got a, got a solid five out of five for me. But this, this will get a four out of five because of how jarring that was. There you go. Great, great. So our next book uh, on the horizon is, and I can't remember, is Crown of Midnight by Sarah J. Mass. That's right. This is book two of the Throne of Glass series. Correct. Uh, um, this should be an interesting one because uh, I don't know if those who have been listening to our show will know we had a heated discussion. Uh, one of the few where Jim was just off his rocker with anger at how much he hated the first book. and. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you you've just it, gone from from rant master to doctor exaggerate. It, 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 it is it is actually it, it's not far from the truth. I mean, during that episode, if you go back and listen, it was the first time we heard him pull the loot out and put distortion on it. Yeah, to 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 show his anger. Yeah, and so <laughs> it was it was absolutely you know you just heard him and you could just picture him like. Red with riding the sandworm with yeah oh my gosh over that's the top so definitely over the get ready for more over the top that's right absolutely that's right that's right, that's right. <laughs> well that's why i agreed to read it right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> we had to really twist jim's arm and hold him down and he said finally yes i'll read it i'll read it yeah and I'll that's it quite a show. feat being that's quite a feat being you guys are in Pennsylvania and I'm out here in Nebraska. Yeah, well, you know, it, I figured if 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 Kylo Ren and and Ray can do it, you know, we can like transfer <laughs> stuff across time. You know, I can reach my hand across to the force and take hold of you. Right. Right. Possible, so. right. Cool. So, <laughs> so that's the next book we're reading, but then uh, there's no poll this month, or I should say the poll is very limited to one book because clearly the next science fiction book we're going to be reading We'll finish up the expanse as it stands, right? With uh, Timeats Rat, Ty- Rat. How do you say it? Timeats. Timeats Rat. With, yep. By James S. C. Yeah. So book eight. We so and and I just looked it up again. We are getting book nine sometime in twenty twenty. Okay. So we'll finish it. That, yeah. That's at least according to James S. A. Corey. And it's it seems like it's a definitive end, not like a series that's going to just continue going. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker. What? I'm sorry. Well, then, huh? That's not true. <laughs> not true. I don't feel that way. That's another discussion for another time. <laughs> so. All right. Well, we'd love to hear what you think of books that we are reviewing and books that we should review. Several ways you can get in touch with us. You can always email us at theorbitalsword at gmail.com. You can always leave a, vent, a voicemail at... At one two six zero five seven seven chat. That's one two six zero five seven seven two four two eight. Of course, we're also on Facebook, which is where uh, I think most things go down. Facebook.com slash orbital sword, or you can find us on Twitter at orbital sword. You can always join the conversation over there. Yep. Uh, our main hub is over at orbitalsword.com. So check that out for back episodes and such, as well as find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts out there. Um, and correct. the most important thing you can do to help us is tell a friend. Absolutely. So, uh, and we want to thank our Patreons who uh, help support make this show happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once again, for the Orbital Sword, I'm David Bolton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And join us next time on board the Orbital Sword. If I go to the sky, I will always see your smile. 
Miss you. 